and welcome back to Vox Podcast, the weekly pseudo-acronym roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name's Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Katya and Monica. How's it going, guys? Yo! Hey, good. I'm still in summer vacation. I'm mostly doing okay. Again, stuff I can't talk about yet, but I'm doing a lot of work behind the scenes that, I, that will hopefully make my life way better real soon now, I hope. Fingers crossed. This is where we find out that Mav is in fact a secret superhero. But his oh, power God. is teaching children about awesome. comics. No, I wish that was the case. How are you guys? I'm good. It's my last uh, weekend of unemployment before I head back to the museum. So, ah. so you, okay, it'll so be Emmy's time. So what you're going to do the museum for the summer, and then you're going to be a grad student. Yeah. <laughs> one of us. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Yeah. I was going to ask, this is going back a couple of weeks to our PCA show. You announced, you know, and I am a PhD student at UCLA. Was it the first time you'd ever actually said it out loud? Yes, in front of people? Actually. Okay. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I was wondering that when you said it. I'm just like, and I'm like, that wasn't true until yesterday. So, you know. <laughs> true. Yeah. It was my announcement. And it, it's been pretty fun because people keep being like, oh, and I'm, I'm getting a PhD in theater and performance studies and they're like but Monica you don't do theater and I'm like oh you know but it's dressed as everyday performance and then everyone keeps being like what about the theater and I keep being like we'll figure that part out over the next four years so my, my, my PhD is in English and thankfully I've just gotten to the point where like I no longer work with academics so I no longer say it's an English but because I don't have to I'm just like I do like media cultural theory and technology and people are like I still don't know what that means but it's some of those words sound familiar and i'm like great that's enough for me a cultural theorist and anthropologist I guess technically i'm an english lit teacher kind of yeah you know but let's not worry about it too much um yeah just squint at it and it'll be fine <laughs> yeah it'll be fine <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today we're talking about expertise that monica has for a different reason because not exactly a phd but i don't know can you get a phd in malls <laughs> Someone somewhere I, has. I, I would say that I always joked in my undergrad, like I did have a an official minor in uh, Native American studies, but I had okay. an unofficial minor in shopping, which <laughs> what I mean is that I worked at the mall all through college. And because I work in costuming, you spend so much time just sourcing things at the mall. I feel like the amount that people tell me that malls are dying is almost a thing that like, like when I go home to visit my parents, I see it and I understand what they're talking about. But it's also something that I don't understand because professionally, like I'm probably at the mall once a week because I have mm -hmm. to be like, mm -hmm. there's just some things with the nature of working in costuming and having production timelines where you need it right now. You need the thing that is in store. Yeah. You cannot even wait for the two day Amazon shipping. So like, yeah, I just imagine like always being able mall. to see it in person because some things don't translate well to online. So if you need like a specific mm -hmm. kind of fabric or a specific kind of texture, you need Shoes. to go Absolutely. in person. Yeah, you got to touch it. Yeah, I literally bought new running shoes three days ago and by bought that means four days ago i went to dick sporting goods at one of our malls to try on shoes found the pair that i like took out my phone and ordered them on amazon and went home they're cheaper <laughs> <laughs> and i felt you so bad about that like, you you still had to try them on because i right. remember my biggest struggle of the pandemic was my running shoes like finally gave out because i was using them so much 
And I tried to buy a new one and they didn't sell them anymore and all of the stores were closed. And I think I bought and returned like seven pairs of shoes. And then the stores finally opened up and I like was able to go in person and buy those shoes. There's some things like you have to do in person. I want to introduce our guest just because I know she's absolutely done exactly that for the exactly same same reason. So I'd like to welcome back to the show my wife, Stephanie. Hey, Steph. Hi, everyone. (laughs) So, um... You've also done the, I'm just going to keep ordering shoes online and keep returning them until I find the ones that exactly fit to narrow it. I've seen um, you do that. I've had, I guess I've had better luck than a lot of people, but I I've, think I've only done it once, like one return and then replacement. That's happened with replacement. But I've seen you go through it. Because I'm very like good at looking at reviews. <laughs> so yeah, I have to know that they're, you know, generally good yeah, for but, people. No, I've seen you send, send them back though, just because yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going to order. In fact, I think you ordered two or three different pairs of shoes and you're like, oh, I'll return one that I don't like, not keep, whatever. No, like, I don't, I don't, I don't do that, that Mav. I don't know who you're talking no, about. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your mom? That no. seems like... Oh, crazy. no, my mom would never do that. My oh, mom, right. not how my mom talks. <laughs> okay, well, I hate spending money, so that is not something I would do. <laughs> anyway, but Steph, you also have... A little bit of mall expertise, I thought I, I decided. Yeah, like a pers- personal expertise in the mall. My family lived about half an hour from Century Three Mall. Half an hour? Sorry, half a mo- half an hour. Really, walk really slow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, it's three blocks. I mean, they're big blocks, but <laughs> yeah. that's why I'm like, you said half an hour. I'm like, okay, sorry. I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to <laughs> misspeak a lot. My brain isn't like well connected to my it's mouth apparently. Early. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, yeah, I lived I lived half half a mile from Century Three Mall, so. I go there all the time walk there mm-hmm. hung out with my friend diane mostly we spent like hours and hours so you were a mall kid a mall rat if you will yeah i guess you could consider <laughs> that but i yeah but yeah maybe not like in the way that is portrayed in movies like 80s movies well how so because i think there's also like a, we have a couple like generation like different generations of mall kid that's mm-hmm. right yep and i would be curious of like what to you guys makes makes I guess for you, what is a mall kid? And I, I think for as, as somebody who was born in 1990, I think that is probably a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, probably. Like you guys, like especially like Matt and stuff, you guys were probably like peak mall rat era. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, well, but I never was one. Like I never did that. I knew people who did, but I was never a, if I went to the mall, it's because I had to buy something. Like I was never hanging out yeah. at the mall, but I know lots of people who did. And the reason I said, you know, Stephanie would count is because to me, what makes it a mall rat, mall kid? whatever it's not the fashion it's not the attitude it was literally you went there for fun it was a place where your parents were not and you know, we, you know it's it's saturday afternoon let's go hang out at the mall that was a thing right. that you and your friend did right because well yeah me and it was mostly me and my friend my one friend diane mm-hmm. who would go hang out at sears actually for like hours on end and play pac-man on on the computer because we were apparently addicted to it Mm -hmm. so that was like the like one of the things that we tended to do with the mall and another thing was go to the pet store and she loved dogs Mm -hmm. so we would spend like hours just playing with dogs Well, but I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking of like Kevin Smith has that movie Mallrats, right? And I get that they're movie characters, so they're goofy in a way that you aren't as goofy. And 
entirely different way. But but like the things like they would just go there and like, there was the guy who in the movie uh, just sits there and stares at the magic sailboat poster forever because it's just like we're at the mall. It's something to do. And there's just a lot of hanging out because yeah. it's just a convenient location. So to me, that's what I think of as part of the mall culture. Yeah. I mean, living in a suburb, it, we didn't really have like places, other places we could walk to. And that was really the only place. And it like you said in the post, it had everything, you know, if you're hungry, you can eat the food court. Of course, there are lots of restaurants in the mall go shopping or mm -hmm. just play games for free or pet dogs for free or just shop for books or there's just you could do anything there. Mm -hmm. and it really was sort of a lifesaver to have that around because I would have been bored to death, I think, <laughs> if it weren't for that, because <laughs> that was before I drove. Mm -hmm. So that was really the only place that we could freely go to, at, you know, on a whim. Yeah, I guess it really is. I mean, there are stores, uh, stores that trying to think what's around your parents' house. There's a mall, which is closed now. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then there are stores that are not part of the mall. And that's it. There's nothing. Else. Well, that, the, all those stores weren't there okay. when I was growing up. Okay. Yeah. Tati, you said you think of it differently. What did you think of as like mall kid? Because I, well, I, I mean, I guess how suburban you are, right? Steph that's points the thing. out. Really that's good. the thing is like, so I grew up in a very like suburban area, but by the time I was old enough to basically do mall rat stuff, there was a train. So basically I, my, the suburb I grew up in is the end of a train line that would take, go to Portland. Mm -hmm. So I could either, you know, hitch a ride and go to the mall, which was like 30, 45 minute drive away, or we could walk to the train, jump on the train. And it was a 35 minute like train trip to downtown where there was also a mall. Um, <laughs> so most of my like Saturdays bumming around, like we were talking about, were actually just like wandering around Portland mm -hmm. as opposed to a mall because it's just, and, and but part of that was just because there was accessible public transit. that was cheap. Like if I hadn't had that, I probably would have been a mall kid. I think also, so I would have been, I don't know. I think it was like mall, mall rat era begins around like what, age 12, age 13, which that would have been for me, the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And I think that was kind of like the beginning of the dying of like malls hadn't started like dying fully yet. But I think that was mm -hmm. kind of like the beginning of that period. Like, I remember like Lloyd Center is our like peak mall rat culture. And I know people, especially who grew up, I have a couple of friends who grew up like more around that area. And like, if you lived on the east side of Portland or like in an easy distance to Lloyd Center, like you were probably a mall rat kid because it's huge. But even when I was in high school, like it was already starting to die off right now. It's actually I kind of want to go. I meant to go before this episode because I think <laughs> the only thing I can show see on Google Maps, it's open right there is like a GameStop. And I'm sure there's a couple <laughs> other odds and ends, but I kind of like the idea of this massive building because it is huge. It just has a GameStop because all the flagship like department stores are empty. And it was like, but it's like one of those things that like, I mean, similar to the Portland carpet fiasco for listeners who might be familiar with that. Like it's, it feels like the, like the gutting of Lloyd Center feels like the end of an era. And I think I'm not sure where it's at now. I think like in 2001, it was bought by somebody like a new investor or something and they're going to try and revitalize it. But you know, who the fuck knows? But yeah, like, I, I feel like mall rat culture just wasn't as much of a thing in the early 2000s. I kind of wonder, though, I mean, like, this is one of those things where like, I wish we had a, a Gen Z correspondent because like, I want to know, I, I, I would be curious to know if the same thing is true. Yeah. Like, basically, what do kids do? Because like, mm -hmm. the interesting you thing know? is like, you live in the suburbs and you don't have access to a car or even if you do, if everything else is too far away. What do you do as a teenager now? I mean, I guess you just do TikToks. <laughs> 
like really you like like, suburban space is not made i mean for little kids maybe but especially suburban space is not good for teenagers like what the hell do you do yeah so well my niece and nephew they spend all of their time online playing games i don't know how how common that's kind of i think it's pretty common so here's what i'm wondering because we've got obviously all of us are none of us are teenagers anymore right so but but steph and i do have teen nieces and nephews and they do regardless of how suburban they are because there's a difference like your Steph's family very much is Steph's family is in the suburbs. Your brother is in the suburbs in biking distance, definitely driving distance for um, only the youngest can't drive, but like they're definitely in driving distance of the mall from your brother's house to uh, Monroeville Mall. To, to Monroeville Mall. And probably if they really wanted to, you could bike there. Like it's not that far, but I don't think they were ever terribly interested because they grew up in an age where there was an internet and there were cell phones and you could just text people and you could post to so your youngest niece loves tiktok i know that for sure mm-hmm. like she and has for she's 15 now so she can't drive yet and but she's been a tiktok addict for like three years so so since she was like 12 i've seen her like yeah. you know doing stuff and she's got friends that like yeah well she can talk to. i mean to be fair they're also pretty far from them all they could drive it but it wasn't like you know it's like not a like, five well, minute yeah but well commute or whatever no but it's like for you it was literally a five minute walk yeah right um, i'm saying for them it was close enough that they live closer to that mall than i used to bar than i used to bike when i was a kid when i was when i had to go somewhere i would bike places all the time yeah but they live on a highway dude they're not gonna bike on a highway i okay why not <laughs> i'm well, not, because not on a highway but okay when i was like looking up stuff for this episode one of the things like i came across was just like various threads mostly from like kids people who are like kids and like very you know quite young adults now talking about basically the fact that like parents are like 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 this example of riding your bike on the highway is that Mm -hmm. like their parents would have been allowed to ride their bike on the highway when they were like 13 14 but kids now their parents would never allow that no no they wouldn't have to ride it on the highway they'd have to cross to be clear i'm not i'm not i'm not suggesting they just cruise down the middle of the lane they would have to cross but i think the idea is that i mean from the perspective of these Mm -hmm. youths their parents are more protective than like their grandparents were of sure yeah yeah probably true i feel like generally speaking kids have less it's like this weird thing where they have massive autonomy online partially because right. even their parents don't even understand what they're doing online mm-hmm. but they have i think less autonomy in in like physical space and so right. and then when especially when like the people go like the young snappers are online and it's i was overhearing a conversation yesterday where someone was saying that social media was ruining society i'm like first of all people said that about the printing press so calm down but i was like you have built a world that is inhospitable to children right and and then you are surprised kind of the- when they go online and make spaces for them. Right. Which, sure, there are downsides too, but like, can't have both. Also, maybe a question of like money as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you're a kid and when you go to the mall, you have $20, right? Like you, you don't have a lot of money. I remember mm-hmm. like... My parents didn't really let me go to the mall on my own. So kind of the first time that I had that experience was in college. And I think about Urban Outfitters. And the first time I went into an Urban Outfitters and everything costing like $50, $60 and being like, these clothes are so expensive. That's the the context in which we're talking. Like I could Mm -hmm. afford, Forever 21 nowadays is bankrupt. When we talk about Mm -hmm. all the things that are moving online, And we also talk about the fact that malls are dying. A lot of times it's the malls in these spaces where the stores 
were filled with items that were a lot cheaper. And mm-hmm. I also think about this idea of now you can buy a video game. You don't have to buy it at GameStop because it doesn't have no. to occur on a disc. You can just yeah, buy just it as a digital download on and your digital console. downloads actually better because oftentimes, depend, I mean, it depends on what you're playing, but oftentimes it's actually faster. Like it's, as a gamer, it's better to buy digital downloads most of the time. Right? Like your, your Kindle has all your books, so you don't need to mm-hmm. go to Barnes and Noble. Like the things that I bought and spent my $20 on as a kid just physically don't exist in those spaces they exist online now and Mm -hmm. so i think that's also a large part of it is that like the ritual and the spending habit has changed where all of the cheaper goods are now being provided Mm -hmm. on things amazon i think that's true because like i was thinking about this so lloyd center in portland which is i think it was like quintessential like mall rat like that era of mall that one's dying but across the river on the west side which is like downtown that's where the fancy shit is that mall seems to be doing just fine and part of it is because that's where shockingly we have like designer labels which like it seems to me very weird for portland because it is just i grew up here in a different era of portland i think it's just what that is <laughs> Why do you- that mall seems to be doing just fine and i think it's to that it's, there's nothing cheap in that mall and i remember the closest thing i ever got to being a mall rat was actually being in that mall because we were hanging out when it was a super hot day and my friends were a bunch of weirdo looking people and we got like basically kicked out for loitering because we very clearly didn't belong there because we very clearly didn't have there were like some cheap stores there's a forever 21 and stuff like that but especially at that time that was the rich people mall i Mm -hmm. I also want to bring up a lot of those designer goods are actually those that cannot be purchased online like you can get a lot of it like as an online but a lot of those like fancy or high-end stores for example like a cartier like you actually have to go into the store even when you go on the website it's just sort of like a list of the products and then when it comes to there's no add to cart option Mm -hmm. there's a call the store and see if it's in stock option is it like an exclusivity thing or is it a they don't want to deal with shipping it thing it's an absolutely an exclusivity Thing. So I yeah. know that for so I mean even something as silly as I'm trying to think what's a small something relatively disposable like a Gap or or Victoria's Secret or you know like things that are you know canonical mall stores if you okay Victoria's Secret they are famous for their catalog Victoria's Secret catalog has different stuff than Victoria's Secret stores similar stuff. Oh, yeah. Of similar quality, but there is a store collection Mm. and there is a catalog. Well, now online, but like at the time, you know, there is a collection of bras that you can get from the store and a bra that you can get from the catalog. And they're very similar, but not exactly the same. And if you want this exact pattern, you have to go to the store. That's just how it is. And it's how you it's how you get people to go to the store. You know, I I, I don't know for a fact, but I would imagine Mm -hmm. part of it is also in the their in-store. Well, I know for a fact that in-store and online buying habits are different. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they are different, but I would imagine if you were in store, you were probably more likely to buy more things. So I'm here and I don't want to come back to buy this shit. So I'm going to buy right. five mm-hmm. of these instead of two. Yeah. Monica, I was actually have a question for you. So you in your on the, on the call for comments, you mentioned something about the malls that are thriving or haven't gone under already. Not being due to like higher end, them selling higher end. And I was just I was kind of like surprised by that. I mean, you sort of reinforced what you said in your comments right now. But is that because just I, I guess I would imagine that you would want products that are well i guess nowadays if you can get the products online most people do that and that's okay that makes sense so you're saying that it's an exclusivity thing where people can only find certain things at at a mall that kind of forces them to go in to the mall where they otherwise could just pay for stuff online there is also a sense with with luxury stores specifically like 
there is this idea of the buying experience. And I would have to say that, yeah. In hmm. Department stores and higher end stores where there's this idea of having a sales associate that you work with who is usually paid on commission and you build this personal relationship. And I'm hmm. bringing this up as somebody who like was an employee who worked at this kind of store where it happens all the time at like big department store like Saks Fifth Avenue. It happens somewhere, but it also happens in stores that you might not think of as you don't have to have a lot of money to have a personal sales associate. When I worked at Mm. Michael Kors, which is still, it's a lot of money for some people, but not a lot of money for others. That's the point of affordable luxury, right? Is affordable luxury is aimed at uh, a middle designers go, it's attainable. So it's Mm. meant to be like a little bit of a stretch. It's meant to be a special item, but it's meant to be something that middle class consumer might get as their like one fancy Christmas present. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's one in which we had everyone worked on commission and we all had a book of clients. And when we had a sale or when we had a style come in, like you had your the personal like cell phone numbers of your clients and you would text them photos of the Mm -hmm. item. You would put it aside for them to bring it into the store, which is a very old fashioned practice when it comes to selling that still is around to this day. I have, you know, one clothing store that I love in LA. It's probably a little bit outside of my budget, if I'm being honest. But I work with one sales associate who knows my name and knows my style. Every time I come in, she knows what size I am. Like we follow each other on Instagram. Like it's just part of the sales tactic that you don't get online. And some Mm -hmm. people really like that experience of being catered to feeling special, especially when you're spending a lot of money on a luxury item, right? So a lot of what you're paying for is sort of service of it and the experience of it that you weren't getting at any of those other, like Forever 21, you don't have a sales associate. You go in and you pick out what you want. And so that's it. You're not replacing anything by doing it online, right? You're still kind of doing the window shopping and the decision-making on your own. what you want and then you say can you go get me this in an eight or nine or whatever right right and usually in a store (laughs) like that they're too busy uh that they don't want to go get that size for you like they want you to go do it yourself (laughs) anyway and so there is a sense of i think that's why these other stores still exist is because that is something where you're asking someone for a second opinion about how it looks on you because you didn't bring a friend with you to go shopping like it's not a replaceable thing yeah. with your individual shopping habits online, it's which true. I think is always going to be valuable to people. And I think mm-hmm. there is also a degree to that where that's also true, not even just necessarily like the personal shopping experience. Like, I think especially if you do not have a body type that is easy to fit off the rack. And this, uh, because because like, in a store like Saks Fifth Avenue, they keep all of the sizes larger than a 10 in the back so that you have right. to ask anyway. Yeah, it's fucking oh, annoying. How embarrassing. And terrible <laughs> and embarrassing. But like, you've literally created it so that there's no other choice other than to talk to a person because you physically cannot do it yourself right well and i and the other reality is so i cannot buy pants online that is a reality that i have come to accept thankfully now make my own pants so it's fine but before i did that because basically like 
my sizing, and I think this is true of a lot of women, possibly also men, but I don't know. My sizing does not have bear any relation to mm-hmm. standard sizing used by most stores. Mm-hmm. So if I have basically, when, when you guys were talking about like the shoe problem of having to return the shoes all the time, mm-hmm. I, have to do, I would have to do that with pants and it would be a nightmare. I would much rather mm-hmm. like, now I know the brands that I wear the same size in and as long as they stay consistent, it's mm-hmm. fine. And if they ever change, I will probably hunt down someone and put a hit on them. But I have to go try on pants. If I need to do right. pants. Like I, it, there's no other option because it's, otherwise it's going to be an endless string of ordering things and returning them and ordering things and returning them and basically making random guesses because that's basically what it is. Because depending on the brand, I could be anywhere to an eight to a fourteen. How that is possible, I have no idea. So okay, so that's one of the things that I think is weird because you said you weren't, you have no idea if this was true for men. And I can say it isn't. So here's a weird thing that um that I think where this is going to tie us back to the idea of going to shop at physical stores and and the mall culture in general. Men sizes make more sense than women's sizes in america for instance our size men's sizes for pants uh, just since katia was using pants are in inches so if i say if i say i wear a 34 inch by 34 that's like the size of my waist by the length of my inseam like that's what those numbers are right so it's the numbers just mean a literal measurement yeah. so that i can that fix is, it that's kind of weird because like men i've noticed have like different sized butts some men don't have butts yes so, you would think you'd have i don't know well you can figure but if you know what your measurements roughly are mm-hmm. you can sort of derive it from those two numbers or for buying a pair of jeans it's an, is it perfect no but it's better than the system katya is talking about where you're like i'm an eight what does that mean i don't know you yeah. know so like it, it is literally like That's a true. i can take a tape measure i can go around my waist and i can tell you what my waist size is i can go up my leg i can right. tell you what my inseam is mm-hmm. these are things that i can figure out right now if i'm buying something that are like nice clothes if i'm buying a suit or i'm renting a tux or i'm buying one then i get to go to the suit store and then have the awesome tailor go and do full measurements and that's part of the experience right, yeah, right? Yeah, right so right. and i've done this many times i've done this every time i've ever been in a wedding i've done this when i went prom i've done this when i got my own suit i got my own tux like these yeah are i've done with my do. brother when he's done that yeah right and it's actually it's an experience that like is it's sort of like the thing monica was just talking about where you go and you have your guy who is there to serve you and help you with the oh well let me try this you know what your you know you know what material is going to be perfect for you you know what color is going to be perfect for yeah. you you know you know and let me do the measurement and he knows what he's doing the chain it's not even a chain a ch- a, do you call it a chain when there's two locations and i think there might only be one location Local now chain, <laughs> yeah, yeah well there's only one location now i think because one of the one of the locations was in the mall that was by steph's uh, mom's house which is closed because <laughs> that mall's gone but remo's menswear is remo's menswear oh is yeah a, i remember that place it had such nice suits like such flashy suits oh yes they are they are a suit store in pittsburgh that, that caters place. that caters specifically to african-american gentlemen they are so amazing <laughs> so, like, they actually have style yes and it personality is, it is literally <laughs> say, like i think also like i would imagine i mean this is based off of my experience living in chicago like tailor shops in different neighborhoods for different communities look very different in chicago yes. Yes. And i think it's but, also the tailor in the black neighborhood like sounds like i i i am picturing i was picturing a specific place it sounds like this place where it's like very flashy, like cool ass suits. Whereas if you go to another neighborhood, they are yes. very like dour, but very nice suits. Like the Ita- basically like the Italian tailor looks very different from the, like the black tailor looks very different from right. the Latino tailor. And, but they're all like in the 
distinctive thing. And I imagine like, if you are, because I mean, Chicago, I mean, neighborhoods are very like, there is the Italian neighborhood. There is, you know, there is like the Nigerian neighborhood. So like everything is kind of specific. And I imagine part of it is also like, you serve that community, you know what that, like the cultural, right. especially because like suits are a special occasion thing. I'm like, I would imagine that there's a lot of like cultural stuff that goes into that too, knowing what yes. is appropriate for a specific function. Where I are you also going? want to bring up it's not a, it's not supposed to be a special occasion thing. I had to explain to my husband uh, when we went into a suit store at the mall two weeks ago that he was like picking them up off the rack and trying them on and being like this doesn't fit this doesn't fit and I was like because they're samples because they're not supposed to fit <laughs> because they're all suits even the one that you wear to the office is supposed to be tailored like even well, your and jeans and your pants are supposed to be tailored that's why Nordstrom has a tailor and it's free when you buy oh. clothes at Nordstrom <laughs> okay oh, wow. grandma I mean but, 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 I, don't know. I think a lot of people don't know that I didn't know that I think no the amount of people I've had to explain that you like people that complain about like their jeans don't fit right or think or a jacket doesn't fit right and you might not want to do it with every piece of clothing especially now that like lots of stuff is made so cheaply that honestly if you try and tailor it it would shred mm. it's cheaper just to buy a new one <laughs> well but it's also just especially for like, if you have and if you have if you struggle to buy things off the rack like right. tailors are cheaper than you probably think Mm-hmm. Um, like you can go get pants hemmed and like waist taken in and it's probably gonna I mean it depends on your area but like I've had things altered when I didn't have access to a sewing machine when I was in college you know five bucks ten bucks fifteen mm-hmm. bucks and I think this goes to like how our attitudes towards clothing have changed too which is maybe off topic but like clothing used to be a special occasion you and especially if you were somebody who couldn't like afford to buy things all of the time which was most people if you bought a nice piece of clothing like you took care of it and it was stored properly and it was cared for properly and all the other things and you tailored it and you took it in and you let it out and all of those things and it's like there was an entire I mean even think of this is still more true for example in parts of Europe like I remember living and learning about like clothing culture when I lived in France versus the United States and I was living with a, you know, an elementary school teacher as a family. And so like people who were like comfortable, but not wealthy. And her closet was like full of designer clothing from like vintage designer clothing, because it was all owned by her like grandmother and great grandmother and taken <laughs> care wow. of and immaculately stored. And I think part of it is like Americans don't have that same relationship to clothing on average. And I think also mm-hmm. just like, like people's relationship towards clothing in general has changed. Well, malls made clothing disposable. Mm-hmm. Like there's right. so- for spending every Every, like every afternoon after school at the mall, like it's no longer this place. That, like I talked about this of like uh, in my call for comments of like my parents didn't let me go to the mall unsupervised. I got to go to the mall on my birthday and I got a haircut and a new pair of shoes and to eat at the fancy restaurant. And that was my relationship to the mall for a really long time. Whereas I feel like mm-hmm. now my relationship to the mall is pretty terrible because I have to go there for work all the time. And I, it's very much a, oh, well, while I'm here. And so obviously my consumption habits go up because it no yeah. longer occurs as this place of being a special occasion. And I have to imagine that it's very similar when you're a teenager who spends every waking moment at the <laughs> mall and cannot hold on to $20 because you're yeah. always there. And so you're always mm-hmm. spending it on something. And there's, and I feel like there's also two sides of this about around like cost in relation to clothing. As I remember when I was in my master's program, I got really into the history of suits because of course I did. And there was like, I forget the name of the book, but there was a book about the history of like how suiting has changed. And one of the things it talks about was like the gray flannel suit. And one of the reasons that the gray flannel mm-hmm. suit was like an iconic thing. So if you've watched Mad Men, like that is the area of the gray flannel mm-hmm. suit. And it was the first 
like that was around the period where mass produced suits were widely available. And the idea was that you could have it like you as somebody who was, wasn't wealthy could have multiple suits. Whereas, you know, a few decades mm-hmm. prior, you'd only have one. And so like it be- and this book was really fascinating because it was like both perspectives. On the one hand, suits were less special. It was less of an occasion. It was less of a cultural thing. But also like you could basically as like a form of class passing, like you could look like a wealthier counterpart which especially in a business environment or a work environment could be really important and also like the great final student kind of meme of you look like everybody else which on the one hand positive in the sense of if fitting in for you is like a a, a thing like you get to look you're wearing the same suit as everybody else you were part of the club whereas also there's like the other problem is like the the lack of individuality and i think that's part of Mm -hmm. why in chicago i was i was somebody who really like appreciates the craft of tailoring like i enjoyed tailoring myself like I think that was one of the fun things about moving from the Northwest to Chicago because I had never seen tailor shops like that. Mm-hmm. That was not a thing that I had ever encountered in the Northwest or in Portland, just because like, people don't wear suits in Portland, really. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I was getting at before, like with the idea of fashion became disposable. Monica, you mentioned Forever 21 yeah. clothes are not made to be tailored. I mean, I guess you could and it might fall apart, but it's also not supposed to last. To You're not supposed to like turn this over to your granddaughter. This is supposed to be something that you wear for a year. It falls apart and then you buy more because that's the entire point of that industry is to make fashion consumable so that you have to keep buying it it's not and it's cheaper for that reason and the same thing is true for you know I don't know, jeans, right? Uh, like most like jeans that you buy at, I don't know, Target or Kmart or something, as opposed to, you know, a nice suit that you're buying that you hope can last or a nice dress. I mean, it's just a weird, different relationship. Do you actually want to push back on that okay. because of your, your example of denim. Like denim is one of those where there is an entire luxury denim industry. Yeah. And when oh, we yeah. talk about Forever 21, there's also this relationship in the like early aughts of what I'm going to call the going out. And it's because you spent like $150, $200 on your designer pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. That like yeah, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the... is five dollars yeah. for your going out top that changes right. every week. Like right. your, the idea of like denim, especially, is very interesting to me because it started out as like a piece of workwear that somewhere mm-hmm. around the '80s became this idea of it could be a luxury branded symbol. That now denim has Please. become something that is sometimes marketed as an mm-hmm. investment piece of clothing. Yeah. Like this well, thing you talking, spend a lot of money on. Yeah, I wasn't talking about designer jeans. I'm talking about the $25 what was on. Yeah. This was Target brand. This is what was on the shelf. At, yeah. I guess yes, that's what I'm getting at is that's a little bit of, it's the Abercrombie of it, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Of this idea well, of you can buy disposable clothes and then you can mm-hmm. buy like the slightly nicer, like marketed as investment clothes, but they're still kind of the same clothes, right? Well, that's <laughs> the thing is, I think denim is also really fascinating because from a just like disposable clothing culture, high end denim is one of the few things that you could actually, and I say this is somebody who used to uh, date somebody who made custom salvage denim. You could buy a very good pair of denim jeans and they could last you a decade or more, even if you wore them every day. Like it is possible, which is not true of many because, I mean, like Monica was saying, they were originally workwear clothes. 
if you took care, take care of them properly, like they can last for a very long time. In which case, a $500 pair of jeans like that is actually cheaper than buying even the most disposable jeans. Right. Because it's, I mean, I've bought, you know, I like I have a pair, even just, yeah, like the pair of jeans you buy at Costco are going to fall apart in probably six months to a year if you wear them that regularly. A pair of salvage denim, you could get to last. I mean, I know people who've had pairs of salvage denim for 25 years and they wear them at least like a couple times a week. So I was wondering about like the effect of social media or just like media in general on people's how people buy clothes and what people buy. Because I would think that like more recently, since we were just bombarded with images more so, I think, and you guys know this, if this is factually true or not, but it seems like you have more bombardment with, you know, fashion than pretty much ever. And I was wondering if that can be, if that is like part of like like right now hold on you mean when you say more bombardment can you like like yeah like in the present day or what do you mean what do you mean by bombardment is what i'm asking oh just like images of like online now you know now we have facebook and now yeah yeah more more images and more yeah like that is 100 true i will say it's not just a social media thing and monica probably can speak to this more accurately than i can but like i'm thinking of the wb shows too (laughs) things like right no i think for the last like few centuries actually we've seen this gradual like increasing number of fashion seasons and therefore this desire to turn over clothing and like that has i mean that that accelerated like that the the speed at which that happens accelerated throughout the i think that started probably in the 19th century from my knowledge again monica correct me on all of this but like that's something i think of like starts speeding up in the 19th century as you start getting float and then once you hit the industrial revolution where mass-produced clothing starts being an option it starts picking up more than that and then 20th century like same thing gradual increase in like the amount of seasons we have have per year and how short they are and then in the last decade it's exploded whereas you know there used to be like four fashion seasons now it's i forget what they're exactly they're called but they're essentially like micro seasons so like zara if you okay so like zara like zara and stores like that in forever 21 are probably like the most emblematic of this you can walk into a zara and if you see something there and you go two weeks later it's gone because their seasons are that short like they basically now i mean it's gotten to the point where i think they might like season seasons quote unquote in terms of how often they reflash the clothing i like like the clothing in the store can be as short as a week. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it's kind of like too much of an effort if people are following these trends to actually physically drive out to a store and get stuff, gets that stuff rather than, you know, buy something online where it's sent to you and you can you know sit at home and play your video games or whatever you're doing. <laughs> I, I think because it's also there's this weird thing that I've noticed, which in like image culture was this idea of once your outfit has been photographed, like, yeah, it, it's kind of done. Once people have seen it and you've made a post about it, you can't wear that again. You can't take a picture in it again. There is this weird like and Zara, I would argue, is like a very large part of that, because if we are talking about like the European fashion system in general, it doesn't quite have the same division of price points that we do in the U.S. Yeah. And what I mean is there's a lot of stores that are Zara's and H&M's and pop shops and like Forever 21 type stores where you can buy clothes that are very inexpensive and turn over very quickly. Or you can buy labels where a garment is going to cost you somewhere in the realm of $200, $300. And there's not a lot in the middle. Like they don't really have, I I guess if the example we're going to use is they don't really have the Abercrombies that we do, right? They don't have a middle market. They have things Mm. that are one end of the spectrum or the other. And so- Investment pieces or- like basics. Yes. And so when you create an image culture, then you're completely dividing the market further because it becomes this like you wouldn't necessarily 
purchase an investment piece because it doesn't feel like an investment when you're expected to sort of always have a new image. It becomes much easier to participate in the incredibly fast fashion system. And there has always sort of been this idea of a European fashion hierarchy of the French girl style. And so it becomes that in which the French girl style is really like Zara style, right? And and then it trickles down into the American consumption habits as well. Oh, I feel like Americans are spending slightly more money because, I mean, Zara is not a thing that's as readily accessible in the U.S. as it is in Europe. Zara exists like it is like the end all be all like it is your I don't want to say it's your target, but it's your target in terms of ubiquity in that you can go into even very small towns and they might not have a lot of clothing stores. They definitely have a czar. So it's a a much more accessible thing in Europe than it is here. But we still sort of have these like middle market stores. So we end up spending more money kind of wearing clothes that look like Zara clothes here in the States. But it's still, I think to Steph's point, like very affected by this idea of the bombardment of images. I would also be really interested in how people think like the rise of thrifting plays into this, because that's the other thing I saw. So we both have like online thrifting, which wasn't a thing like even 10 years ago, like Poshmark or ThreadUp or things like that. And mm-hmm. then I was actually, there's like one street in Portland that like has a bunch of like a bunch of like vintage and thrifting stores. And I was over there with a friend a few weeks ago and noticed like that was where all the teenagers and they weren't at the malls. And I was like, this is really interesting. I'm like, is this a, and I'm curious as to where that comes from, because it's like, on the one hand, I think that there is an aspect of this is Portland environmentalism, all that other stuff. Which that's important. It's thrifting, um, right. And, and thrifting is complicated. Here. Right. And because it's one of the places that right. can still spend five dollars and get clothes mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. can't do it at the mall anymore the way that you used to. No. And I think the other part of it is I also noticed on TikTok, I mean, there's always the like fashion is always cyclical and always comes back. But there seems to be more cachet around having like vintage or like wearing your mom's jeans kind of thing than I remember when I was that age. Because I like when I was that age, it was the height of Abercrombie and, and Hollister and you had to be wearing the new thing to be the cool kid. Whereas like, at least when I look at TikTok fashion, there's absolutely a lot. There is some of that, especially with the rise of the sheens or whatever, how you pronounce it, and the, like and that like super dirt cheap online clothing. But yeah, there seems to be like more there's something like it's almost like thrifting is becoming like it's part of conspicuous consumerism oh. for TikTok or like for the maybe I don't know if it's a social media thing or if it's a generational thing because I think this generation is much more educated at this age about the impact of you know global warming than we were but I think it's also because these fashion systems are changing a lot faster like I do think that when we were growing up even though you were at the mall all the time the clothes weren't turning over as much. There really was a a greater sense of like when I worked at Hollister, we didn't get new stuff in all the time. We got new stuff in every three, four months. It really Mm -hmm. kept to the traditional sense of a season. And and I think when you're combining this idea of you want to always be having something new and you want to always be able to buy something that like that now exists, it's a lot easier to be participant in conspicuous consumption via thrifting than Mm -hmm. in the same way that we were trying to do when we were all walking around in the same. Okay, I think it's a few things just to tie back to our original topic. The mall culture died because of lots of factors, but online, you know, online shopping being available, read, you know, 
makes it not necessary. But as Steph pointed out, you weren't really going to the mall to shop. You were going to the mall to hang out. Do free things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You were hanging out doing the as way, much yeah. free as you waste time as basically, you possibly could. Entertaining ourselves. That's not, not as necessary in a world where you can like, you know, play Minecraft right. with your friends online or like constantly or, you know, League of Legends, whatever it is that you do with your friends online as a teenager, you can do that now. Right. But also like I was thinking just about like the thrifting thing that, that we're talking about right now. I've got one student or I had one student last semester who was from Europe and then she's going to the University of Pittsburgh on a track scholarship. Really nice girl. And she came to class one day wearing an Oberlin College sweatshirt hoodie. And I was like, oh, wow, Oberlin College. And I'm just thinking, I know where she's from. I know she's not from America, right? And I know she's only at Pitt on an athletic scholarship. So I'm like, did you, do you have a friend at Oberlin? Did, you know, like maybe a boyfriend or something? Like, where did you get an Oberlin College, like oversized sweatshirt hoodie? And she's like, oh, I thrifted it. I just, she liked the look of it. Like basically she liked right. the Oberlin College logo. She's like, and she's, and she even asked me, she's like, do you know where it is? I'm like, yeah, it's literally <laughs> the college, like by where I grew up. And I was just like, in Ohio, I was like, yeah, I know where Oberlin College is. But to her, it was just like, it was a cool logo on a hoodie that none of her friends had. And she's awesome. I'm taking this one. And it's just, and it's, to me, it seemed odd because it's like, you're advertising a school that is not the one that you go to. Usually, you know, the pride yeah. in your university. But she's like, no, I just like the logo. And that's it. It was that simple. But that began a conversation that we had in class about, you know, just because she called it, no, I just thrifted it. And which is to say that her and her friends literally go to, in Pittsburgh, Red, White, and Blue is our, uh, one of our thrift stores. Mm -hmm. And they go there and they hang out there with other 19 year olds just kind of looking through stuff to like oh i like this so i think the consumption aspect of it still exists she's building her own individual style just instead of doing it off the forever 21 rack she's doing it off the goodwill rack or the red white and blue rack or whatever the thrift store is right. that, but sometimes know, because you now the thing that's valued is individuality versus yeah. looking like everyone else but the value is still this idea of you you look ex I want to say it's that you look expensive and it matters that you thrifted something because it comes with an inherent value. And so I don't mm -hmm. necessarily mean like monetarily expensive, it's, but it's that, that it has cultural cachet. It's that this sweatshirt with its cool logo matters more than the Shein shirt because the Shein shirt does not have the cultural capital that you were able to purchase, which is in its own way, the same cultural capital that the Hollister logo had because we were all sitting around wearing advertisements for this other thing because we just liked the logo, right? Yeah. I, I, there is also this like this idea of thrifting. Like when we talk about the thrift market in the US, it, it functions very differently than the international thrift market, yeah. which is to say that in other countries, it matters that your clothes uh, smell musty because it means that they are pieces of American clothing that sat in a shipping container for long enough <laughs> to become musty to know that you uh, are receiving yes. like authentic American thrift. Wow. Or the idea of thrift in Japan is significantly more expensive than the same t-shirts that you're finding at Goodwill. And I think that because we now exist in this global economy, there is also that cultural capital of knowing that you thrifted something for a lot less 
money than it could have been marked up for if it was inside a vintage store. Like I especially think of one of the like flea markets in the entire world is the Rose Bowl flea market, which happens literally at Pasadena Rose Bowl, which is a giant football stadium, but also in the parking lot of that giant football stadium. And you go in and it is t-shirts that cost like $200. And if you found it, Goodwill would also cost $4. Like it is the hunt of the cultural capital that we used to get the same excitement from finding at somewhere like a TJ Maxx, right? Like you used to be able to feel like you were getting like this great find and this great value. And then we all realized that everything that you purchase at TJ Maxx was made like for the outlet mall market and isn't yeah. actually as expensive or as nice That's a polo work, shirt as if you like, <laughs> That was my, that was my high school job with TJ Maxx. And so now that like that mythology is broken, but there is still that value system that's sticking around and we need to be able to fulfill it in some way. That is what goodwill is now for everyone. I think also like thrifting has a, an alignment with social media because like social media, especially like curation yes. is much more of a thing, like a, a, a aesthetic and, and just practice than it was, you know, before Instagram and TikTok and all that other stuff. And I think part of it is like thrifting, what you were saying earlier is like thrifting in a weird way has similar exclusivity via different channels as like the designer market in the sense of if I thrift something. So like I recently thrifted a pair of shoes that were made in France. No one else in Portland will have these shoes, basically that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yes. And I think especially like for people, and I think this is how thrifting manifests online is it's like for like people who run, even if they're not running like a style account, but like that is part of their brand so to speak online like being able to say you curated a thing it wasn't just from a store it was it has this aura of authenticity or something like it because it's oh i am an individual because i went out and i thrifted this thing that no one else can have because it was made in like 1986 and the rest of them have all fallen apart yeah so i have two questions actually one is i kind of got the impression from what people were saying that you didn't consider goodwill to be a thrift store and i guess i always considered it to be or maybe i misunderstood the conversation and the second question is i guess like like how big a part of thrifting do you think is just like sort of like when I go to a thrift store, Goodwill is the only one I've ever been to, but I like the fact that I'm spending less money. And I also like the fact that I feel like I'm doing like good for mm -hmm. the earth and not, you know, and reusing clothes that have been previously used. So I'm wondering if that's, if you consider that to be a, one of the primary motivations for this thrifting oh, trend as sure. well. I think both. Like textile waste is the number two pollutant on the planet after oil. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I think that people are aware of that. I think that people are... Isn't there oil in, in clothing? Yeah. And yeah. When we talk about polyester, polyester is also plastic. And all of that plastic, every time you wash it, releases little microplastics into the water. And all of those little mm -hmm. microplastics end up in your fish. And then you eat those fish. And then there's little microplastics all up in your stomach. It's terrible. <laughs> all of it is terrible. Goodwill is a thrift store. Goodwill is my favorite thrift store. Yeah. I don't know why I got that impression. Yeah. Goodwill is absolutely a thrift store. I think that, I mean, I think weirdly with other types of markets, there is like the levels of thrifting now. I think with also like consignment stores too because there's the, the place in Portland where like all of the thrift stores are 
There are places that if you bring your clothes in, it's not, some of them are donation, but most of them, you sell them. And so I think the idea is that if you are getting rid of a bunch of things, people like, I mean, I definitely do this. I will go to the places where I might get a couple bucks back and then anything that they don't take goes to like Goodwill or similar. So I think also, so and I think it also depends on what you're looking for because they definitely have different things. And I don't know if this is true every place, but we also have even Goodwill itself actually has levels of Goodwill. Like in Portland, downtown, there is a Goodwill location that's like a boutique. And stuff in there is not cheap, but that's also if you are looking for a fur coat, that's where you would go. Or like you can get like sometimes designer stuff or even if it's not designer, just like more high end items. Mm-hmm. Goodwill does like Goodwill will sort out like things that are of higher value to sell and they will put them in. If, if they have a location like that in your area, they will put them in a specific store where the markup is higher and things like that. And usually it's like it's a separate location that is much like that particular Goodwill is maybe a mile away from like the actual like the mall with a designer brand. So it's not like Mm -hmm. there, but you could walk there. And honestly, if you were taking, if you were walking around and like having an afternoon in that area, you're going to walk past it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering if we, now we're very much in talking about fashion, but I'm wondering, do we think that the culture has just shifted away from the idea of the centralized location? I think to this original question of what does it mean to be a mall kid or a mall rat? It was literally just sort of hanging out there. Whereas now I think it's different. Yeah, I guess I was thinking like during this conversation, like why I liked hanging out at the mall. And I think like a big part of the reason for me as like a an, kind of an extreme introverted person is it, it like how old are you you're, you're like, talking about being 15 right 14 15 well even younger than that 12? i think yeah around 12 we okay. started i'm not exaggerating like we're literally talking about three blocks from your parents it's not far at all like you can you can't quite see it but well because it's yeah. a hill but that's the kind only reason like, yeah, you know it's there. yeah it's i mean like, it was made on a slag dump <laughs> yeah like it but i mean like it, it's legitimately <laughs> the mall from steph's mom's house is is, I mean, if you were running, you could be there inside of five minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially since a lot of it was downhill from my <laughs> to the mall. Yeah. But anyway, I like the sense of big city. You kind of feel like anonymous because there's so many mm-hmm. people around that no one's like really paying attention to you that you don't get. You know, if I go outside and play in my yard and people driving by can see me. And I just like feeling part of, you know, the masses, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm- and now there's not masses. That, I mean, like I. I posted pictures on a call for comment of what the mall, Steph's mall, looks like now. And it's just this decrepit, scary ghost like, husk of a building. They're sad. Yeah, it like, is sad. A dying mall is just like not a pleasant place to be. Oh, this one's dead. This one is, it's condemned. Like you can't go no, inside anymore. Like, <laughs> right. But like there's, I've lived near several dying malls in the last like mm-hmm. decade or so. And there's just not like, to Steph's point, it's just like there are places that are just, this is just not a place you want to hang out. It's like when you go to that restaurant that just like the ambiance is off and like something about it is vaguely unsettling, but you're not quite sure what. Mm-hmm. That is the experience of being in a dying mall. And I think, but I do think that to go back to why we, I think we keep diverging into fashion, and I think one of the weird things about this is like the reason to be a mall rat kid didn't really have to do with the clothes. But the reality is that like in order for that space to exist, like there, the, the changes in the fashion market and I feel like the ability yeah. for malls to survive and therefore mall culture to survive are fundamentally intertwined because basically people buying clothes subsidize that space existing. Right. Like there I was, was one Lloyd pet Center store. Portland. There's well, one pet store, there's one comic book store, but there's a dozens of clothing stores. Right. And I think it's interesting that actually the things that seem to hang on at malls that I'm near are actually GameStops, which I think is fascinating, but that seems to be consistent no matter where I've lived. But I think but I think one of the, the things I kept thinking about was so Lloyd Center, which is like the, the mall culture mall in Portland for I think was the first ice skating rink. That was that existed in Portland was in the the main mall was in like the center of the mall. 
And to my knowledge, I mean, there were you paid for it. There were tickets and stuff like that. But to my knowledge, that was basically subsidized by the rest of the mall. The idea was like that was an attraction you came to go ice skating. And then basically the businesses benefited and therefore basically paid for that ice skating rink. And I don't and, I, and actually I was thinking about this morning. I don't know that there's another one. So like when that mall goes and they like over time, it used to be really huge. And I think over time, like that ice skating rink has shrunk. Well, that mall goes fully under like you can't ice skate in Portland anymore. I don't think mm. I, maybe there's another one that I just don't know about. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely not another one that's like a casual like thing that you just drop by and do with your kids. If there's another ice skating rink, it's probably a place where people play hockey and do ice skating lessons and where it's much more of a sport than a casual afternoon thing. Does that make sense? People did that at Lloyd Center too, but it was like, I don't know. I, I like there's something about that where it's like almost like it's an indoor park, but it's mm-hmm. an indoor park that's subsidized by fashion. Yeah. And it's I don't know. That's like a very interesting challenge. I'd also be interested to know like how that connects with I was talking with one of my a friend of mine who's um from the UK and they have a similar dying mall culture, but like their mall culture is very different. I was even remembering like thinking of like the big shopping centers in Paris. Because that is also a cultural event, mm-hmm. I think in, in many ways too, that has a history to it. And do those survive or are they also getting kind of gutted by this like shift to online consumption? Right. So I I think it's right. the I brought this up in my call for comments and it's that the malls themselves used to be like spaces of aspiration in terms of like when you're a Mm. kid, it's the aspiration to be like an autonomous adult who is unsupervised and allowed to do whatever you want, whether or not you are aspiring to purchase like items that make you feel upper middle class or whatever, you know, like it's, you still feel an autonomy of being able to spend your own money being like, and there is something also that's like the ability to go to the ice skating rink to the movie theater. Like as much as we think of these things as being like very like public now it's still very much coming from like a bourgeoisie like you know leisure class historically speaking and wanting to be able to participate in the leisure class and so having these things inside these sites is not a coincidence when you talk about like the french shopping center culture it's all very historically based and the idea that it would be these activities specifically in terms of being like feeling like a park feeling like an ice skating rink or I grew up pretty close to the Mall of America and there's a giant amusement park in the center. But it's not actually a cheap thing to do, right? To go to the amusement park, mm-hmm. to go to the aquarium, especially if you have multiple kids. You are still talking about something that is very distinctly not a park, is actually an expensive activity that also sort of puts you in this aspirational wanting to be part of the leisure class. And so this idea of being at the mall and trying to do as many free things as possible possible versus being at the mall and being able to participate in all of these activities that actually cost money. Like even by doing all of the free things, you are still existing in a space that is curated for the leisure class. And you are still aspirationally trying to act like the leisure class by being in those spaces. Uh, And I think that's really important when we're talking about like capitalist society and the way that it is Mm -hmm. conditioning all of our behavior. So we've resolved nothing. (laughs) We're all just cogs in the machine, Mav. That's disconcerting. (laughs) Sometimes that machine has ice skating rinks, so that's nice. Yeah, it it, it looks nice. But the thing about the leisure class is it's it's built for distraction to keep Mm -hmm. you willing to be a cog in the machine. How popular is the ice skating rink? Um, It it used to be so like it used to be a big deal, I think. 
But I think that was also like before my time kind of deal. Because mm-hmm. when I remember going to the Light Center when I was like a teenager, like there were people there. It was usually pretty busy, but it was usually like little kids okay. and people, and like, especially like little kids lessons and stuff like that. But when I was researching for this, I was like looking at the history of Lloyd Center and how it's changed over the years. And like for a lot of people, Lloyd Center in general, but I think like the ice skating rink comes up a lot when people like reminisce about Lloyd Center. I wonder is the, again, using stuff small just because it's close to us, but mm-hmm. like I, I grew up, I didn't grow up where in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Cleveland. So different mall culture, well, different malls, but stuff like the mall by her house has it has a playground inside it's not a park but there's a merry-go-round with with you know a legit merry-go-round there's a fountain and there's a very large at one point santa display where santa goes and sits and then you have this exact thing and i imagine stuff when you were five six seven years old that was probably a big deal where people would wait in line you know because even when i first moved here when i was 18 like i remember going to the mall and seeing lines of people to see santa around christmas time and i imagine that was true when you were six years old right but like the last couple of years that century 30 mall was open there's pictures and again i put one online of the mall santa waiting and they just sort of empty out the entire wing to give room for him and there's no one there it is the most pathetic sad uh, thing you're ever. making me want to cry that's <laughs> so sad but is that true well when you i the mall actually wasn't built when i was that young so we would go downtown to see santa kaufman's i believe but like when but, so yeah when but were- later when i was older i would yeah there would be long lines of kids yeah past that age of believing in anything. <laughs> what are you trying to imply about Santa, Stephanie? <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing about Santa. Okay. But yeah, yeah, it, it was huge for the kids. Uh-huh. It's, it is really sad that there's no like place in West Mifflin where, you know, kids can be on Santa's lap and hope for material objects. <laughs> I, I think as Stephanie was saying that she realized how weird what she was saying sounded like the city yeah, on Santa's yeah. lap. Yeah, <laughs> like, people say the Santa thing and I was like, is there a nostalgia thing that i'm like you are effectively handing your young child to sit on a random stranger's lap and ask them for pieces of capitalism yeah we've been talking about doing the santa show we'll have to try to remember to do that this christmas to do a a mall santa show just as a tie into this episode and something you know we're gonna do it for christmas in july no we'll do it in december if we remember but i just have to point out you know if the listeners want to remind us wayne our co-host was a mall santa and could tell us stories yeah (laughs) so Perfect. He's the perfect. I feel like we just need to turn that into an episode of Wayne Story Time. Yeah, and we just need to. We we, and we've talked about it. We've talked about it a couple times. That's my favorite fact I have ever learned about Wayne. (laughs) This is why Wayne is a mystical wizard. (laughs) Anyway, Stephanie, thank you for joining us today on this. You're welcome. By the way, I want to say one last thing before I come off as like completely like misanthropistic. I've never said that word out loud. I just read it. (laughs) Misanthropy. It's like I went to the mall. I felt you know not like sort of anonymous but it was nice like being part of a society it was still nice having yeah. like people around and yeah. feeling you know feeling humanity around you so yeah I, I think that's kind of very sad that it's kind of going away I think especially Suburbs. I think, that's a, really important, I think yeah. that's a really important point, though, because to me, that's the appeal of living in cities. And that is mm-hmm. something that like suburbs are actually designed to not do. And I think right. that's also mm-hmm. part of why mall culture became like mall culture was what it was. And especially at the time that it was, because it's like at a time where like most kids were growing up in the suburbs in a space where like community spaces aren't really a thing. The nuclear family is supposed to be a real little unit. That was the only place. Mm-hmm. For me, like I said, like I I was less of a mall person, but like we would grab the train and go like bum around Portland. Right. Mm-hmm. If you've and got if you've got public transportation, even at I mean, 
I mean, yes, there's a whole discussion of, you know, parenting and helicopter parenting versus child mobility and when people can travel. But the win of the mall for Stephanie was, again, it was walking distance. It was a place of complete autonomy away from her parents. And Um, and I feel like genuinely lucky to have been to have had that mall. Right. So close by. And 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 you kind of get to pretend to like, I think for me, it was also like I got to whether it was a mall or being in the city, I got to pretend to be an adult. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I think you do that virtually. Right. You know, like even the there is a there is more of a communal aspect to hanging out with your friends on Fortnite than there was being able to only call one person at a time on right. a phone in a world where sure. when we were kids, like none of us grew up in the era when you just had a cell phone as a child. I had my own phone line when I could afford to buy one. It's really hard to get that when you're younger. So I think that like the autonomy of being able to have your own space that is a kid or teen space that you can share with your friends separate from adults. Yeah. And it felt like a safe place back right. then. Right. And I think that is just sort of gone now and in all seriousness, replaced with TikTok and, you know, Warcraft or Fortnite or whatever. And I don't yeah. necessarily think, think that's, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to shit all over that. I think that. No, so it's not good or bad. I think that's it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just different. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's just, and this is why I get annoyed when I hear people going like, social media has ruined life. And I'm like, people have been said that about every media technology since the dawn right. of time. And it, it's never been the downfall of society. It's just like, A, society changes because of it. Or sometimes mm-hmm. the technology gets picked up because society changed. And then also like, if you think that like this has ruined society, it's because we're going through the growing pains of we haven't adjusted to the cultural change. Right. And when, I, when people There's, say that, what I hear is you're not bothered by TikTok or social media. You are bothered by the fact that society is changing and you don't like it. Well, you're bothered by the fact that you got older, right? So mall culture was an adolescent, <laughs> uh, mall culture was an adolescent public square that we sort of hung on to as we got older. And now the adolescents have moved to their own public square and we've aged out of, it's weird because I say, you know, or Fortnite or whatever, because I don't even know what the cool thing is this week because I'm an old man now. And, I, and you know, I know, if, I know a few things that are cool because like, Professionally, I follow pop culture, but like the entire point is what makes things cool when you're 12 is that 40 year old people can't keep up. That's the entire point Mm -hmm. is for me to not be able to like to stay in touch with the, you know, with where the cool 12 year olds are. And And the millennials invaded TikTok. So that's no longer Mm -hmm. a good space. Right. Right. And and I'm not even a millennial. I'm way too old. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so that's, there's benefit to that. And I think it's scary, you know, it's scary to see culture move on without you. And I think culture has moved on from malls, which were largely a Gen X base. I mean, they, they stuck around for the millennials. Oh, by the way, I looked the distance base. from my brother's house to Monroeville Mall, uh-huh. closest mall. It's 10 miles. It's over 10 miles. That's not bad. That's a bike ride. That's far. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. <laughs> you kids are soft today. Uh, I rode my bike 10 I, miles all the time. Both ways and 10 feet of snow. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> Stephanie, thank you for joining us today. Uh, okay, thanks for having me. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh, no, not really, but thank you for asking. <laughs> if you listen to Stephanie's previous um, appearances on the show, I get in, I get in, in trouble if I don't ask Yeah, usually, yeah. This is very smooth for that. <laughs> uh, Monica Marvelous. You know, I have so many more Abercrombie and Fitch facts to share. <laughs> and I 
please reach out via instagram or twitter it's at monica marvelous on instagram that's l-o-u-s and on twitter that is l-o-u-x please ask me about my abercrombie and fitchbacks i mean i want to know about them katia what about you nothing super exciting i will say if you are concerned about things like microplastics and you're getting into waterways there are many options of things you can throw in your uh, laundry that will Hmm. capture those my personal favorite is the bag called a guppy friend and that is entirely based on its name I love her in the back. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, you know, if you want to, you know, do, if you like your synthetics, but you want to, you know, be nice to the planet. So I assume, like, the, is it true that the older clothes get the less they, of the microplastics they emit from the clothing when you wash them? Or? I actually don't know. I mean, the basically, as long as there's synthetic content, you're going to get microplastics because basically oh, it comes okay. from the breaking down of the fibers. So basically, I, I don't, oh. I'm sure that there's a period at the beginning of like when you're washing it for the first few times that it sheds more. But basically, the fibers will continue to break down as long as you wear it. One of the complicated things, and I, this is my fact, one of the complicated things about synthetics is that in the sewing community, there's a lot of conversation about what's better, nat- like natural fibers versus plastics. And there's, it's really, it depends because mm-hmm. things like athletic wear, it's probably actually more environmentally friendly to have synthetics and to care for them properly because a lot of natural fibers don't hold up to the friction you have of like when you're doing a lot of activity and they will deteriorate faster. So arguably in that instance, it is more environmentally friendly to have synthetics that are well made that will last a long time because like, the, the biggest contributor to pollution from clothing is basically making things disposable it is better to have something that like the most environmentally friendly clothing you can have is the stuff that you already own and just keep it as mm. long as you can and fix it that's what i, I do it. that i have clothes from 30 years ago <laughs> oh same before we start a whole nother and before we start a whole nother show <laughs> as always you can follow on twitter or instagram or facebook all the places always at chris maverick you can follow the show all those same places at box podcast you can follow the show's blog at www.boxpodcast.com where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week which i have no idea what it is and you can leave us comments on this and any other show you can tell us how much you want to hear us do a whole show about a and f or about microfibers and clothing i mean i'm sure we could do that or you can suggest topics that you want to hear us cover and you can pitch yourself as a guest on the show sometimes we pick guests from people who comment on the blog if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do then please subscribe to us on itunes or stitcher or spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review if you leave us a five-star review especially on itunes apple Podcasts, that boosts the algorithm makes us more popular and really helps us out also makes me feel good <laughs> I like that. I don't have a mall to go to. I need to. I need the amusement of feeling connected with the community by reading five star reviews. So let's do that. <laughs> I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank Stephanie for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Now I kind of want to go to a mall. Yeah, I know. Me too.